3: Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. Yeah.
5: Welcome back to the Lombardi line presented by bet MGM stormy Bonantoni alongside former NFL executive Michael Lombardi still to come this hour. Marcus Haynes of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Thomas Gable director of the race and Sportsbook at the Borgata. But it is time Michael for some folks to step into your office. And if anybody hasn't heard (laughs) this segment before, you know, when you step into Michael Lombardi's office, it's not always what you want to hear. It's what you need to hear. So Michael, Right. For your 10 o'clock, we are heading to Chicago. (laughs) Bears GM Ryan Poles apparently looking to drum up some interest for the number one pick. The trade rumors are swirling with Justin Fields. No pressure, Ryan Poles, but the future of the franchise for the next 10 years could be in your hands. What are you telling him when he comes into the office?
6: You know, Ryan, I think the most important part of the job that you have, the one that I think makes – you separates you from other teams is your ability to block out the noise to stay away from the perception and correctly evaluate your own team it's easy to say that it's easy to write that down and you would think that would be something easy to do however evaluating your own team is the hardest challenge you will face as a general manager today tomorrow and moving forward because bias is going to set in all the time. You are constantly going to hear from different people, different agendas. And the more people you involve in any decision, the, the larger the chances that you're going to make a big mistake. Because more doesn't mean better. More means confusion. More means more opinions, more confusion, more chances to break down. So what I would suggest to you is tighten your circle down. You, Iberflus, and that's it. Maybe you're director of player personnel. The three of you tighten the circle really down and decide, do we need a quarterback to move forward, or is Justin Fields similar to, equal to these guys? If we feel that way, then let's pick the best player we can or make the best trade we can and build the team from the defensive and offensive line out. Then, if we don't think that, if we think Stroud, or Richardson or one of those guys is a better player moving forward, then let's get rid of Fields, trade him, and move forward. But we all starts with not watching the college draft. It starts with watching Justin Fields every practice, every game, and understanding what we have. Once we do that, we can move forward. Tighten the circle, don't listen to outside noise, and evaluate your own team.
5: The Bears have a league-most $98 million in cap space entering the offseason, so we'll see what they're able to do with it. Now, let's go to Tuscaloosa, Michael Lombardi. Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates dealing with some serious off-court issues around his star freshman, Brandon Miller. How he's handled it? Questionable. Michael, what does Nate need to hear right now?
6: Well, I think Nate needs to hear that you're your own worst enemy, Nate. Every time you've done something, It's been a bad reflection of your program. We wrote about this in the Daily Coach. I mean, the commentary that you said after uh, the incident only fueled the fire. And then you allow a walk-on to pat down the player and highlight a bad situation. At some point, you have to take an action. At some point, you have to show leadership. You could sit there and say it was uncalled for. And I get that. And you didn't approve of it. I get that. But what actions are you going to take? Are you going to bench the player? Are you going to tell the kid who did that pat down? He's not on the team or he's not traveling. At some point, there should be consequences. You're making light of a very serious situation. And the less you do, your words become hollow. And you're showing no leadership. You're showing no ability to lead your group. I mean, I understand you said you were working on the play to get going. but You didn't see the pat down. I mean, I don't know. Most coaches know the play they're going to have before they go into it. So you can use it as an excuse, but I find it hard to believe that you didn't have the play that you wanted to run, especially since you run all five out picks. That's your play on every play. So for me, it's about getting control of your program because if you don't get control of your program, somebody from the outside is going to get control of your program and you won't have it any longer.
5: Yeah, as a head coach – you gotta be held accountable for a lot of this stuff. And I get that there's immaturity from a freshman in college, but making light of somebody's death in a way is just it's it's an unacceptable thing. And Michael, you have to imagine that if this was a kid that was farther down the bench, he wouldn't be out there on the court, period.
6: No doubt. And and I think stormy for us in a betting, I mean, how do you trust exactly. Nate Oates as a better to make a good decision when it comes time? If you're going to bet on Alabama, I mean, we've seen this, right? Are, are, do you really feel like he's got control of his program? I mean, you know, he says he does. He was offended by what people write. But then he's the one who's made this worse. He's added fuel to the fire. He's, there's an absence of leadership in his behavior. Yeah. there. So that absence of leadership is going to show up if you try to bet him in a final eight game or a sweet 16 game.
5: Exactly, Michael, and that's what I'm thinking. You're not going to catch me betting an 8-1 to future on the Alabama Crimson Tide no matter how talented this team is. The off-the-court talk is not going to go away anytime soon, and that's something that even if it doesn't affect Miller specifically, it's going to affect everybody else on the court and so, uh, yeah, that's something that I wouldn't be interested in. As we look at a lot of college basketball teams moving toward the big dance, there are teams you're going to want to buy in on, and there are teams you're going to want to fade. And I think Alabama down the stretch as the tournament gets deeper is one you're not going to want to be invested in. Let's talk yep. about another one of those top teams. As we welcome Matt painter into Michael Lombardi's office, the Boilermakers were a one-loss, top-ranked team in the country earlier this month. And now, Michael, like a cookie in milk, they have been crumbling. Dropped four (laughs) of their last six games, most recently swept by Indiana. Coach Painter, Michael Lombardi is ready for you in his office.
6: Look, I think the best thing that ever happens to a team is adversity. I think we talked about that all year with the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't face adversity. How were they going to handle it when somebody punched back? And losing in in February – is not a fatal flaw. Losing in the end of March is. And so what we've got to figure out is what made us great and why haven't we been able to get there. And the best thing you have going for you, Coach Painter, is you could show your team that if they don't do it the way they need to do it every time, they'll lose. They're just not untouchable. I mean, it's the greatest gift you could ever have in life. You now get a chance to recalibrate the team, to get their attention, to refocus them, to get them back on the course that you set forward. That they know if they play this way, they can't win. But if they play our way, we can win. And it's this, it's in the middle of difficulty lies great opportunity. And I think this is a great opportunity for you to get your team back to where it needs to go. Sometimes you want to do this when you win, but you don't play well. You've lost and haven't played well. That's when you really have the most clout with your team.
5: Matt Painter has gotten a lot of flack for not being able to get his team ready for the big game. This is not the time of year that you want to be faltering. So please heed Michael Lombardi's advice to get this team back on track and rally into position. Purdue, from a betting perspective, still 10-1, to the fourth shortest shot on the odds board to win a national championship behind only Houston, Kansas, and Alabama. Eric Bieniemy, let's welcome you into Michael's office. Last week, named the new offensive coordinator in Washington, had some mixed reviews from former players coming to light since the announcement. Bieniemy will be a first-time play caller in Washington after not calling plays under Andy Reid in Kansas City.
6: I, I, Eric, I would say follow your own advice. You know, you are where your feet are, and block out all the noise. And then I would also say to you, take away the distractions. Don't worry about anything other than being the best offensive coordinator you can be. Cut down on all your social media contacts. Cut down on everything and try to connect to the coaches and the players on the team and let Ron Rivera be the head coach because the media is going to put you in that head coaching chair. They're going to try to force you in there. They're going to try to force you to ask her a question that Ron did or how's it going because they're going to want to make a story out of something. And you're in a great situation. You've got a lot of good skill players. But you got to get your offensive line better. And you got to get the young quarterback better. You and the young quarterback have to become hand-in-hand. You've got to coach the quarterback. You've never really coached a quarterback at Kansas City. So your relationship with Sam Howell is going to be really important. And that relationship is going to transcend it how you call the game. So you and him have to be joined at the hip. And it starts today. It starts with your ability to connect with him and then your ability to connect with the coaches. So to me, you've got so much on your plate. Let the media focus about your next head coaching job. You focus on just doing the job you have at the best you can be. Mentally tough people, the people that overcome everything, are the ones that stay where their feet are, like you mentioned. They also don't worry about things they can't control. And more importantly, they don't feel sorry for themselves. And so don't feel sorry that you haven't got a head coaching job because you've got the best chance to get one right now.
5: Well, and that's the thing. He's introduced as an offensive coordinator, and half of the questions at that press conference are just asking about him not being a head coach and the impact of that, but he said it perfectly and you reiterated it there. Be where your feet are, embrace this opportunity, and be who you need to be. Was a part of a chief staff that had five AFC championship runs and uh, five AFC championship games and two Super Bowl championship rings. Uh, how frustrating or or challenging is it as an offensive coordinator, though, to step into a situation, Michael, where you do have a, a young quarterback and so much pressure on your shoulders?
6: Well, I think, you know, the one thing about the NFL, there's always pressure, right? Whether you, you know, but this is one of those where uh, you can move yourself up. I mean, look, the Washington football team offensively struggled to block. That was the problem. I mean, they had guys open. Their quarterback didn't play to the level it needed to play early in the year. And they had guys open. They just couldn't get them the football. I mean, his challenge is to be able to really – correctly evaluate the team needs and get some offensive linemen in there and have that become more realistic so you can control the line of scrimmage. They've got skill. And if they're going to have Sam Howe, I mean, the guy completed 11 passes. We're talking about like he's ready to go to Canton. He played one game, he completed 11 passes. Like, let's build something around him. Let's not think he's going to be great all of a sudden
5: and that's why you are the man that is holding court in the office awesome stuff as always great step into my office michael lombardi and i know you're going to be excited for our next guest marcus haynes philadelphia inquirer we got uh, 76ers marcus we got eagles we got all the things Mike. come on you're excited well
6: i am i am because he wrote a great column and he got lambasted for it i love it
5: there we go when we come back marcus haynes don't go anywhere
3: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy Bonatone, on vSEN, the sports betting network.
5: VEASAN is launching three new live shows to cover dynamic sports betting markets like no one else can. With some fresh concepts and pairings as we head into the new season, Sports VEASAN will continue to deliver all the news, analysis, and insights you've come to expect from your favorite team of sports betting experts. You can check out the new lineup starting today. Stormy Bonantoni alongside... Michael Lombardi, as we welcome you back to the Lombardi line. And while we have three new shows, we also have a little switcheroo where I am in for Patrick Maher, who now has his new show called Sharp Money later on this afternoon. Michael, I know you are so excited for our next guest. Talking all things Philly, (laughs) Marcus Hayes. We welcome in now columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And are we all still just like waiting on bated breath about that final heave from Joel Embiid over the weekend? He shook his head no, knew that it was after the buzzer, but what a thrilling moment. Like, I would take a full playoff series of every game being like that.
8: I was actually in the uh, WIP studios in Philadelphia watching the game, and my shift just ended as that shot went up, and I couldn't tell whether it was late or not. And it was just unbelievable. And, of course, you know, you're watching on the uh, screen. You don't have the sound of. It. So I thought it was good. Uh, it, was, it was pretty remarkable. It was a pretty, fun, a pretty fun thing to witness, you know?
6: Yeah, I mean, Marcus, you wrote a column in the Daily News this week that took a lot of criticism, I think, from people because you stated what I think most of us that are objective in the Joel Embiid world feel, like if – How many times have we heard here in Philadelphia, well, he just needs a better supporting cast. Like, he just needs a better supporting cast. What was the comments after the loss to Boston? He needs a better supporting cast. Like, at some point, that's going to run out. So, I mean, you wrote, and talk about what you wrote. You wrote that basically if they don't win or get to the finals, Eastern Conference finals, we could see a lot of changes at the 76ers.
8: And you kind of have to, don't you, Mike? I mean, the coach isn't coaching them the way they should be coached if they're not winning. James Harden's not going to want to spend the last two years or three years of his career, you know, losing with Joel Embiid. And Embiid probably needs to move on, too. He'll have
6: been there nine years. It just isn't working. So, Marcus. Yeah, no doubt. Go ahead. Go ahead, Fem. Go ahead, Stormy. I'm sorry.
5: No, you're fine. Uh, Marcus, I was just going to say, as it pertains to – this year, I feel like everyone has made it pretty clear that they feel it is a two-horse race between Boston and the Bucks at this point. If Philly wants to sneak in there and, and make a name for themselves, what needs to change for that narrative to change for people and them to make a push?
8: Yeah, I mean, I will say this. After that Memphis game, Joel Embiid was given a chance to say, hey, we're right there with Boston. We're right there with Milwaukee. And what he said instead was, look, we played well. We played well enough to win. We didn't play perfectly. Winning this game isn't nearly as important as us playing better next time and the next time and the next time. And I know Mike follows Joe LMB as closely as anybody who doesn't live in Philadelphia. He has never said those things. He has implied that winning is more important than personal accolades. But then the next time you talk to him, he'll talk about, I should be the defensive player of the year or I should be the MVP. We haven't heard much of that this year, so maybe this, is this, maybe this time this is different. Of course, he did refile to trademark the process on January 10th. So, you know, I think he understands that the only thing that guarantees you a legacy is winning. The rest of it is all window dressing, and he very much, since he had Arthur three years ago, since they had their baby, he very much wants to be known as a winner. We'll see if he has what it takes.
6: And where are you on Doc on all this? I mean, I can't ever – I watch all the Sixer games, and I'll be the first to tell you. I don't understand anything that happens in terms of how he rotates players, his substitution patterns, like why he does what he does. I mean, there's moments in that game against Boston where they had no offense, they couldn't score, and then they bring him B back. Like, where are you with this Doc? I mean, I know he catches a lot of heat here in Philly, and he has this incredible reputation, but where are you with Doc? Doc
8: coaches defense first,
6: and he needs a point guard. When he had Ben Simmons, he
8: had a defensive team that played well, especially with the Jimmy Butler addition on it. He does not have a defensive team since then. He hasn't had one in two years. Tyrese Maxey is such a defensive liability that he can't be on the court at the same time with James Harden against starters. That's a whole other thing to coach around. So you can call that a limitation on Doc's coaching ability, but it's just a flawed roster. If you're going to have James Harden, you needed to develop Matisse Bible. And that's maybe one of my criticisms with doc. He doesn't seem to develop young players besides Warner. I mean, he did a great job with Ray John Rondo, right in Boston. And he's done good jobs with other guys. And Matisse, or uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey, you, you could, you could credit doc with him. But other than that, I mean, I don't know what else another coach could do. You know, you're not going to bring like Brad Stevens, you know, out of the front office of Boston, and have them have him take the Sixers to the uh, to the finals. You know, it's just not going to happen. Greg. Oh no! We looks lost like we, we, him there. Looks I like we have
5: went, a bad
6: connection. I mean, see, that's what happens when you don't talk nice about Joel Embiid. You just <laughs> vanish from the planet.
5: You can't. You, you can't, can't do vanish. that out there in Philly, Michael. Well, to continue no. talking about that, though. We saw the straw poll um, that came out via ESPN recently that had Nikola Jokic as the far and away leader in the clubhouse to win MVP. Joel Embiid, probably, I believe, third behind Giannis in the yeah. vote that they had prelimin- as preliminarily there. With um, with how, and, I, and we welcome Marcus back in here, so I'll ask you this as well, Marcus. i um, talking about the MVP situation here. Joel Embiid, with the schedule ahead for the 76ers, it's so tough here to close out the end of the year. If he were to really have those dominant types of performances that the 76ers need to win games and put themselves in a good position for the playoffs, could he succeed um, Nikola Jokic here?
8: I don't think so. The, the, the people who vote for the MVP now are analytics devotees. He will Jokic will always have better offensive analytics than Joel will because of the way that the analytics work. And that's all they care they seem to care about. He, John Embiid is so much a better player than Nikola Jokic, it's laughable. Nikola Jokic was the last player picked on the All-Stars, among the All-Stars, all right? That's all you need to know. The, the, his peers don't think he can win. I know that's not the best evidence ever, but it's evidence. That said, you know, Embiid has been more successful than Jokic overall in the playoffs. None of that matters with the MVP voting. I realized that about halfway through last year, I was having the same conversations last year with the same people who are voters. I'm not with the same people who are voters. And it's the same sort of circular conversation. They're only going to include these metrics and these performance uh, benchmarks. Therefore, and there's a huge and not undeserved sense of resentment towards Philadelphia for undertaking the process and being sort of arrogant about it and the irony is a lot of the people doing the voting who won't overdo
6: Nnd we were in favor of the process so yeah. he's sort of caught in a purgatory well I mean all those analytical people that they, they, they still think the process worked I mean the, I mean I argue with them all the time they actually believe it worked I mean that's how that's how stormy they think this has worked I mean even though the, the you know Embiid is the result of it, but it it didn't work. Now they say, well, they fired Hanky you know, and Brian Colangelo messed it all up. I mean, well, if you don't make good picks and you have all these picks, it doesn't work. I mean, that's the missing link to all this, right, Marcus?
8: Well, they fired Hanky and nobody hired him. I mean, Sam Hankey right. was part of the part of the problem. He made bad. He picked. He traded Drew 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 Holiday, who was an All Star at the time, and has been an All Star since, and won a ring since. For Nerlens Noel, that's what they—that's how they got that pick. And Nerlens Noel stinks. It was a horrible pick. Yeah, it just was. And they knew he wasn't going to play. I think he was already injured. They were—they traded Drew Holiday, an elite front-line point guard, for a guy who can't play. Then they declined to go get him again. They could have reacquired him. I mean, it's just so it's not just tanky. It's how the team is is managed. The process. The the two things the process, the two biggest mistakes about the process, who are number one, Mike, you've drafted what a thousand guys, or or you you've evaluated three thousand guys in your life for the NFL on on a payroll. How much more predictable are juniors and seniors playing football in college than one and done uh, basketball players? Infinitely more predictable, right? So you're you're drafting children to play a man's game. And they're not going to be any good at all until their second contract. So it's just laughable right. to say, well, you get the assets, you're going to win. Well, you're not. You're draft. It's a huge gamble. It's a bigger gamble to draft in the top five than in the bottom 25.
5: Marcus. So the
8: bottom 25, you draft the second and, third, second and third year players. Yeah.
5: Marcus, we're up against the break. One word answer. Jalen Hurts getting paid. Yes or no? Oh, yeah.
8: 250, all guaranteed. <laughs> five years. Let's go. Oh, there, there we oh. go.
5: Michael, we might have to reflect on that. Thank you, Marcus.
8: All right, thank you. Thanks, Marcus.
5: Marcus Hayes of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Great stuff from him. We are going to step aside on the other side of the break, though. Thomas Gable of the Borgata joins us talking college hoops. You won't want to miss it.
3: This is the Lombardi line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on VCN, the Sports Betting Network.
5: If you're looking for a betting edge on the NHL, NBA, or college basketball, remember the VCN experts have got you covered. Become a VCN Pro subscriber with an introductory offer of just $9.99. V-CIN Pro subscribers get access to the daily recap of top plays made from VCN show hosts and guests. Tools like betting splits, deep dive betting reports, Vincin betting guides for the biggest games of the year, including expert bracket breakdowns, top plays, and daily props. Don't miss out! This is a limited time offer. Visit vincin.com/slash-subscribe to sign up. Again, just $9.99. That's v-s-i-n.com slash subscribe rolling along here on the Lombardi line Michael Lombardi out on the east coast stormy Bonantoni live from Circa Resort in Casino but we are excited to welcome in the one and only Thomas Gable director of the race and sports book over there at the Borgata great friend of the show Thomas college basketball has been bonkers this season I feel like every time a team gets the number one spot in the country they're knocked off Virginia who even is this team anymore what have you made of the parody and hoops this year
9: well, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's There's a lot of parity. Uh, there really, you know, in years past, you typically had one or two or even three teams that kind of stood out as the elite teams that you figure would uh, be there at the end. Um, but this year, there's, there's so many different teams that you can make a case for uh, that you could potentially see in the Final Four or in the final. And, uh, you know, it's just been the way that it is. I think a lot of it comes down to, Uh, The transfer portal, Uh, a lot of it comes down to NIL. And uh, this is probably going to be the way you you see it, uh, see the sport moving forward, I think. Just uh, the sport has transformed so dramatically uh, from just what it was even a few years ago. And uh, I think it's really why you see um, guys like Jay Wright at Villanova who had such success there. Uh, I don't know if Jay would be capable of, you know, holding a team together like he did uh, that translated into the success that he had. You know, he had he had a program that you needed to buy into and relied on upperclassmen who were there for three or four years and were used to playing with each other. And, uh, you know, it obviously translated into championships. The the game has has changed even from that. So it's tough to do nowadays. Uh, with just the way that the sport is. And I, I think just the parity is going to be here to stay.
6: Well, T.G., I love that you called Virginia's frauds. I mean, we know they're frauds. They're the Minnesota Vikings of college basketball. <laughs> they're going to get in the tournament. I'm not sure they're going to do anything when they get there. But we got a Big 12 matchup. Baylor, the best offensive team. Oklahoma State, not very good offensively, but they play good defense. It's Oklahoma, Stillwater, tough place to play, great place to play, actually. Handicap this game for us.
9: Yeah, so Baylor is uh, laying a point and a half here on the road, and uh, the total has is currently sitting at 141. We actually took some, uh, took some money on the under on the overnight line, uh, pushed that down from the upper 143. Um, some respect money there came in on the overnight line. But um, this game tonight, I think, is going to be bigger for Oklahoma State than Baylor. Uh, you know, they're coming into this home game having lost four in a row. They're sitting at seven and nine in the conference, which it it, it is the most competitive conference in all of college basketball. Uh, Baylor's coming off that big win against Texas, uh, in which their defense played a key role for once, but the big story for them was the loss of their leading scorer there, uh, Keonta George early in the first half and he's been rolled out for this game as well with, with the ankle injury that he suffered there. So without their leading score, Baylor is going to be tested here tonight. They're, they're very dependent on outside shooting. Obviously they're tremendous from three with over 35% of their total points coming from threes. Uh, but this Oklahoma's defense, <laughs> Oklahoma state defense, this is the strength of their team. And they're, they're fairly good at defending the perimeter. Baylor typically struggles on the defensive end and Oklahoma State not strong in the advanced offensive metrics so this is going to be a very interesting matchup tonight strength on strength Baylor's offense against the Oklahoma State defense Baylor missing their leading scorer and leading three-point shooter so I think Oklahoma State will be a little desperate for a win here and being at home uh, this is setting up to be a good spot for them
5: so Oklahoma State not a favorite in this spot but a really short number we've seen a lot of unranked home favorites having success against ranked opponents here this college basketball season and and it seems like home court advantage has played a little bit more of a factor than we've seen in years past how would you evaluate home court this year
9: well you know you have the, the the places that are traditionally uh hard to play in um whether that's the pit out there, or you know, there there are definitely traditional spots in college basketball that there's you have to assign a little bit more uh, for home court advantage. Um, for this game that one we we're just talking about, Baylor Oklahoma State, I honestly make this game a pick, um, and mm. that includes the, the Oklahoma State uh, home court advantage there. So um, I would, if I was leaning on this, I I'd be taking the point and a half here with with Oklahoma State but um it's certainly home court advantage is always going to be a thing uh in college basketball and it really comes down to uh you see these younger kids you know freshmen who are 18 19 years old uh they get affected by by you know crowds and uh typically crowds that are raucous and are really into the game uh you know, it's, it's a tough atmosphere for a young kid uh, going on the road. So there's definitely a home court advantage. Some schools have more so than others. Uh, You know, a lot of these schools that play in, you know, some of these bigger venues, uh, you know, Villanova's playing in the Wells Fargo center, or, you know, you'd rather see, you know, teams play kind of on campus or where I feel that there's even more of an advantage. Maybe they don't fit as many people in the gym but when you have a crowd right down on top of you, that creates a, more of an advantage.
6: You know, T.G., uh, the Virginia, the frauds that they are, lost to North Carolina. You know, they were North yeah. Carolina was the favorite against North Virginia. But now North Carolina goes to Florida State, which covered against Miami the other day. So this is huge for North Carolina. I mean, you, you said the other day you thought they had a chance to get into the, the tournament. Do you still feel that way? And if beating this team, will it matter?
9: Well, this team, not so much, but they can't lose this game. Uh, you know, coming off the victory against Virginia, they still have work to do to get into the tournament. You know, they started off the month of February 1-5. and 5, And, you know, getting a quad one win is great, uh, which Virginia was a quad one win, but they, they really can't afford a loss here to a seminal team. That's, you know, you say coming off that big upset of Miami on Saturday, Uh, Forest State was down 25 in that game and managed to pull off uh, the biggest comeback in ACC history. Uh, So, this is the first meeting of the season between these two. Uh, UNC has not played well on the road this season, despite that win at Virginia uh, on Saturday. And, you know, I think Tar Heels really need to be careful here tonight as a loss would really, really hurt their chances. Uh, I don't think they're in yet, um, but. You know this game isn't going to do anything for them to get in other than if they lose, it's going to, I think, eliminate them.
5: Hopefully that name brand can carry them a little bit higher. We've also got West Virginia at Iowa State coming up tonight. Both teams struggled largely lately, dropped at least four of their last five games each, but West Virginia just played Kansas pretty tough at Kansas. What do you make of the number here? Iowa State favored by five.
9: Yeah, pretty much uh, five across the board. Totals 134 in this one, and Iowa State comes in here, losers of three straight, sitting at 8-8 eight and eight in the Big 12. And they only have one more game after tonight, and that's against Baylor next Saturday. So no secret that Iowa State is struggling here, and it's really coming from their lack of offense. Uh, they have only reached 60 points one time in their last five games. They don't shoot well from three. And maybe the most egregious is how bad they are from the foul line. They're only shooting 67%, which is 320th in the country. Uh, Their opponent in this one, West Virginia, they're only 5-11 in the Big 12, but right now they're projected to be an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Iowa State, they love to commit a lot of fouls on defense. One of the specialties of West Virginia is getting to the line. When these two teams met on February 8th, West Virginia got to the line 31 times in that game. They were 26-31 of from the foul line, which was a big reason why they won that game by five. Uh, Now, despite giving up a lot of fouls, Iowa State, they are one of the best defenses in the country, thanks to creating turnovers. They're second best in the country in defensive turnover percentage. Uh, We've seen this line move towards the Cyclones here, up two points from the opener. Uh, in my opinion, five may be a touch too high, but we'll see where the market settles with this one.
5: TG, we'll give out uh, we know that you have your great college basketball plays at von. for anybody who's a subscriber, but any sneak peek any play you can give the people today?
9: yeah, we're we're uh, on the main board we, we went into uh, the six digit rotations on one, but on the main board I love uh, looking at uh, Portland State uh, length three.
5: Awesome, there awesome. Appreciate you so much, Thomas. This is great.
6: Awesome work, TG. Good luck. Nice right. nice Georgetown performance the other day. Lose by 20 to Providence. Nice job.
9: <laughs> hey, oh, it no. went over. That's what we said they would do. It went over the total. That's
6: right. <laughs> great exactly. Stuff.
5: That's Thomas Gable over there, director of the race and sports book at the Borgata. When we come back, closing things out, my first show of the Lombardi line, talking salary cap casualties, Michael Lombardi. Who do you think could be out
3: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
4: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024.
8: See participating retailer for details.
3: This is the Lombardi line. With former NFL executive Michael Lombardi, now here is your host Stormy Bonatone on VSN, the sports betting network.
5: BetMGM, the king of sports books, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like bonus bets and Bet Insurance tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas? You can also convert your BetMGM points into rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resorts properties. Locally on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences and value perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. New and existing customer offer. All promotions subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in seven days from in, in issuance. Please gamble or Responsibly, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're wrapping things up on the Lombardi line. Michael Lombardi, the NFL, has already begun releasing players this offseason. We saw Bobby Wagner done in L.A. after just one season. Taylor Luan, no longer a Titan. And there are a lot of teams that are in salary cap hell, as we are calling it here on the program today, that might need a little bit of help and some names and players that have been significant to team success, that they might just not be able to hold on to it at, at some point here. One name I really wanted to ask you about was Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark. He's somebody the last couple years has been rumored to be a salary cap casualty. Never seemed to happen. Is this the year?
6: You know, I mean, he's got – he's due $20 million, and obviously he's not worth $20 million the way he played this year. Uh, You know, so I don't think – and they have cap issues, right? So they have to get guys signed, and they're going to take some of his money. No one's going to take that contract. So, like, the reason you redo a guy's contract is you ask a simple question, is he worth this? And that's a fairly easy answer. The answer is no, right? So he's not worth it. So now you say to the agent, look, you know, we'll take him back at X amount of dollars. But if he wants more than that, we're prepared to release him. So let's figure out where we're going. And that's kind of how this all transpires. The agent then, what he does at the combine is he shops this player around. Hey, you guys interested in Frank Clark? You want Frank Clark? You know, what would you pay for Frank Clark? And when the agent finds out that there's really not a big market out there, that's when he comes back to the club. If he feels like there is a market, then he just says, no, you can just go ahead and release him. I know I got something.
5: Okay, yeah, he's coming off just five sacks in 15 games this year to magnify that even further, just nine and a half the last two years. Plus, Kansas City's got that young George Karloftis coming up, creeping in the wings. So maybe they don't need Frank Clark after all. Another name that we saw there on the board, James Winston. Um, The Saints obviously turned to Andy Dalton when Winston was dealing with the the various injuries that he had. But then even when, quote unquote, healthy, they still stuck with Dalton. So I don't know what your perspective is. It doesn't seem like the Saints have interest in him in belief in him as a starter after what we saw last year. So how do things play out with Jameis?
6: I, I think they have to. I mean, he's $12 million, and the Saints are really up. They have a ton of cap issues. So that's an easy one, right? They're going to let him go. And then then you ask yourself, who's signing him to anything above a minimum deal, right? And And that's where you go to. So... Jameis will be out there in the market unless Jameis comes to them and says, look, I want to stay here. I want to compete for the job. I'll take this salary. And Mickey Loomis and Dennis a- Allen say, okay, great, we'll do it. But he's already been beaten out by a quarterback already. Mm-hmm. So they already kind of made the decision on him.
5: Khalil Mack, meanwhile, is he potentially going to play for his fourth team since he was the number five overall pick in 2014? His cap number coming into this year, $27 million.
6: Another team with a ton of cap problems, right? The Chargers, you know, they got – a lot of people think Keenan Allen could be a cap casualty there at the Chargers because he's making so much money. And the Chargers, we know this, they're not exactly one of those teams that love to spend a lot of money. So I, I think ultimately what we're seeing here is we'll get we'll get him to where, you know, that he didn't give them that pass rush that they hoped they could get from him. Uh, the Chargers are, what, almost $20 million over the cap, so yeah. – if they can get rid of Khalil Mack, he's the second highest paid player on their cap. He counts 27 million. He's making 17 million in paragraph five. They're going to have to do something with him. When they signed Mike Williams, you know you can't have two guys at receiver making elite money. And so that was just, when when they signed Mike Williams, who deserves to be the elite player. I think ultimately they knew they were going to have to make a move with Keenan Allen. The guy I think they make a move with because of the injury is J.C. Jackson. Oh. I think J.C. Jackson could be in a lot of trouble. He's not healthy. You know, he had the bad knee injury, didn't play well for them at all, was a major disappointment for them. I think they could make a move off J.C. Jackson. Now, they would have to do it and make it a June 1 designation to get them some cap room, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did that.
5: The Chargers, as you mentioned, around $20 million over the cap. We had that graphic up there that lists a number of teams that are over the cap by $15 million or more. Tampa Bay – Leading that charge, $56 million over the cap, Michael.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, Tampa's got, you know, and they don't have a quarterback. I mean, it's one thing to be over the cap, (laughs) right? You know, usually you're over the cap because you have a quarterback and the quarterback's eating all the money up, right? But when you're over the cap and you don't have a quarterback, that's a hard thing. And that becomes problematic. So to me, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that they're just going to have to start chopping guys down and get to where they need to go to. And they've got a lot of guys. I mean, Levant Davis a free agent for them. And so, they, you know, they, they're they not going to re-sign him because they got to get below the cap. they still got to deal with all these other guys. Brady still counts on their cap $10.7 million, even though he's not there because of his prior bonuses. Mm-hmm. So he's still on that. So his charge is still there. I think it's right now and I look at it, it's $35 million. So a lot of their cap debt, is based on Brady but that's and what that, I was that gonna, he's
5: that's what I was gonna say Michael, filed you, retirement papers yeah even with that off they would still be the most over the cap of any other team
6: right so like they you know they have to work around Brady you know they have to work around that deal and so it's going to be very challenging because when Brady filed those retirement papers right that took them off their team but it didn't take them off the cap and so they can't waive them for a post June 1, so he's mm-hmm. going to count $35 million on their cap this year, predicated based on prior bonuses. So that makes it very challenging. Now, they went all in. They want a Super Bowl. They're a little bit like the Rams. You can't fault them. Now you the, can't fault them.
5: Now, the Eagles necessarily aren't in uh, salary cap hell, but I wanted to follow up on a point that was brought up by Marcus Hayes a little bit earlier because I just threw at the very end of our conversation is Jalen Hurts getting paid, and he said $250 million guaranteed. If if that were to happen or anything close to that were to happen for Jalen Hurts, what does that mean for the Eagles? Because they have a ton of free agents that could potentially be on the move here. They have two coordinators out the door. How different could this team look if he gets paid to that extent?
6: Well, I mean, look, they're going to have to pay him, right? And so what, what Jerry Jones was talking about, Stormy, when, when he said the Eagles went all in, he was talking about how they were doing these one-year these, these these contracts with, the option, with voidable years in them to make the cap lower, right? And so that's why Fletcher Cox is going to cost money on their cap. Hargrave, even though he's a free agent, he cost $11 million on their cap. Brandon, Brandon Brooks, he still costs money. Bradbury. So they did all these deals to kind of get them to where they got to. Now they have to pay the piper, right? And they'll do that. Now, what happens with Jason Kelsey? I don't know. If he retires, mm-hmm. that would cost them money. Brandon Graham... You know, he's making a decent amount of paragraph five. They got to do something with him. So I think ultimately they will work under the pretense of once we do hurts, we can figure out how we're going to do everybody else and how much room we actually do have. They'll spend the money they have to spend to go over the cap. There's no doubt.
5: Is it pretty written on the wall? Miles Sanders is out with Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott kind of creeping up in the wings.
6: I mean, you can't sign everybody, right? You can't just—you're gonna have to make decisions. And I'm sure they want Miles Sanders back. At what price do they bring him back? Especially the way Gamewell looked in that in that game. Boston Scott's a free agent too, you know. Mm-hmm. And you could get backs on the market at relatively cheap prices. Plus, they have two number ones. They have a bunch of draft picks. I think they'll see him as, look, he's a really good player, but we can replace him at a cheaper number.
5: Okay, one last player I wanted you to get your opinion on. Vikings linebacker Eric Kendricks. The Vikings are $24 million over the cap.
6: Well, look, the Vikings are starting from scratch, right? So, you know, with Brian Flores in there, they're going to have to lower the cap number of a lot of guys, and they're going to change. Kendricks gives them a guy that can play on all three downs, and really you don't have to substitute based on personnel groups. So I'm sure they're going to want to try to find a way to keep him, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to reconstruct this whole defense and their salary cap. Again, it's all really because of one guy. And you know that guy's name is Kirk Cousins. I mean, everything they do is wrapped around Kirk Cousins. He's the, he's the guy that sucks all the air out of the room because of his cap number so high.
5: I'm curious how much of a step back the Vikings are going to take next year because they were just able to win these one-score games over and over and over again that have finally caught up with them in the playoffs. But... Like I, I'm very curious to see that's, that's not something like that luck factor does matter. And that's not something that's particularly sustainable. Michael, we only have 30 seconds left here, but, uh, my first show in the books and you're already leaving me. Come on.
6: I know, but I'll be back It has nothing to do with you This was predetermined before Everybody changed the schedule I'm excited to be here, I really am I'm very excited to be here Excited to continue the Lombardi line with you and Femi And I appreciate it, but I will be back I'll be rested, I shouldn't have a cold by the time I come back Hopefully I won't sneeze on the show when I come (laughs) back
5: Enjoy your vacation We will miss you Um, But yes, tomorrow, no Michael He's getting some vacation, but when he comes back He's live in Vegas, ladies and gentlemen